Howdy, folks. Happy Monday. Uh, first weekend of the NHL season is done. It was a little weird yesterday. There was only one game. I think it was Dallas Ottawa. It's like, are they just are they scheduling with the with the mind of don't go up against the NFL because we know what to lose. Yeah. Um, there are a few games tonight, uh, and most notably Rangers and Toronto. We'll talk about a little bit about that later on, but we'll start with the pre-show. Go ahead, Russ. So when we all grew up learning how to play baseball, and a lot of us did, you were always told, and I was always an infielder. I played outfield a little bit, but mostly an infielder. You were always told, even if you can't field the ball cleanly, knock it down and keep it in the infield. Well, last night was an example of uh, – that desperately needed to, to happen for the Dodgers because, you know, the Braves have, you know, become a hot team now. Max Freed, one of the best pitchers in baseball right now. And the Dodgers desperately needed to win. Not, they didn't want to go down 2-0. Right. So it's a 2-2 game, ninth inning, two out, tie game. Balls hit up the middle, but Seager's played right up the middle. It's literally hit six inches to his right. And for some reason, he tries to backhand it. And the backhand is such a low percentage play, no matter how good you are. And so I put it online. He needed to either feel that or knock it down. And A.J. Perez, who I know is a Dodger fan, he's like, what, with 100-mile-an-hour ball getting hit? I'm like, yeah. Yeah. 100, 105, 110, your job is to knock it down, even if you can't field it cleanly. If he knocks it down, the run doesn't score. The problem is Seager, and I I know this because – I'm in a baseball league and I have Seeger. Seeger has never been known as a high end defensive shortstop. He's no, but you know what's interesting? Even on the broadcast, even on ESPN, they're all just like, oh, he couldn't make the play. Right. Like because because there are play okay, there are players in positions in, in baseball now where if they're just acceptable defensively, that's good enough. I mean, I know that because of the Yankees, a guy like Glaber Torres, they moved to shortstop and he was I'm a below average, <clears throat> excuse me, a below average defensive shortstop. But he's still and, an infielder, right? Yeah, but the, I mean, I'm not the, asking him to field it cleanly, Mike. I'm saying put your yeah, body in front of the ball. Get in front of it, yeah. I mean, at least at least you limit it to, uh, you know, if you can't get it, you knock it down, you limit it to a single. Right. Um, but but Seager, I mean, this is the reason one of the reasons Seager might not be back with the Dodgers is because, you know, defense uh, because, you know, he's going to want 30, 35 million dollars. And defensively, yeah. he's at best average. So no, that's fair. They're, they're 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 in a hole. They're in a hole down to nothing. Uh, I just have to say, you know, watching the NFL yesterday, watching a few games, the New England Dallas game was bizarre in the sense that, I mean, Bad decision making, bad calls. Um, you know, a team basically just has to get a first down to run out the to run out the time. And um, Mac Jones, a rookie quarterback, throws a pick six to Diggs, uh, who right now I think he has like seven or eight interceptions in five games. It's or five or well, six. If you're good at your job, you could have a lot of interceptions in this league because you're <clears> throwing <throat> the ball so much. If you're able to read it. I'm surprised there's not more guys jumping plays, but the problem is guys are more interested in after the catch trying to knock it out of somebody's hand. They're more interested in the fumble than they are in the interception, and that definitely comes into play with quarterbacks too. And, and I, ha I have to say, I don't know, I don't know your feeling on this. I have to say, could they maybe outlaw the punch 
meaning the punching out. I would. I mean, because like it's not a play. Yeah, I mean, it's like okay, you're like yesterday in the Seattle Pittsburgh game, um, the defensive back punched the ball out of DK Metcalf's hand. It caused a fumble um, that almost allowed them to run timeout. And then in the overtime, uh, Watt, TJ Watt, was behind the play. Uh, uh, um, Geno uh, Smith uh, was running past him, and he couldn't tackle him, so he punched the ball out as he's grabbing him, and that caused. I mean, you know, I mean, I get it. It, it was, it, you know, I, I'm sure I'm, you know, I'm sure NFL coaches don't want that because that's the way they, that uh, you know turnovers occur. But honestly, it's a. It, you're right. It's not a play. It's not a. It's it's not a tackle. It's not an. It's not a sack. It's an. It's, you're just punching the ball. You know. I mean, these guys. Are, where are they going to? Tyson Fury or, or to to learn uh, how to how to knock the ball out of somebody's hands? It's, I'll tell you the the other bad point. And Funky, see, that's why I had said Cider is a real color candidate based on what Funky just posted. Um, anyhow, getting back to it. The play with Prescott trying to, you know, get on top and just have the ball break the plane. I haven't seen that many fumbles with that play. But to be honest, I'm surprised there's not more because, again, it's not really a play because you're not really getting the ball over the line anymore. And I'm surprised it doesn't hit more helmets. I'm surprised it doesn't happen. That's why I hate that play, by the way. Well, I mean, I've, I've seen Josh Allen do that a couple times where, I mean, the intent hit there is to just get it, just break the plane with control. The problem is that again, Dak Prescott's and 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 uh, New England's defense knew this. Dak Prescott reaches the ball out, and as he's reaching it out, the guy punches it out of his hand or knocks it out of his yeah. hand. So yeah, it, again, I, you might be micromanaging things a bunch uh, if you do that, but I just think it's it's so pervasive now that it's it's. It's distracting more than anything. It's like you know, a guy can't tackle somebody, so he's gonna he's gonna throw like a Superman punch, mm -hmm. knock and the ball. They're teaching off. it like that's the yeah. game. Might as well try. All right, let's get the show started. Hello, hockey world. Today is Monday, October eighteenth, twenty twenty one. I'm Russ Cohen from Sportsology, and I'm Michael Lagello, and this is the Hockey Buzzcast here on HockeyBuzz.com. All right, we had an interesting weekend. We'll touch on a few things related to the schedule, but there's some news today that we'll start off with. Uh, the first one, Russ, you um, you reported something over the weekend re regarding uh, the Rangers' uh, uh, Russian player, Vitaly Kratsov. Um, fill us in. Yeah, so basically he is in Russia. He was at a game, and I was told that there's around five teams interested in him. And then – it sort of snowballed, right? Because it's like, well, it's his fault. Well, it's the Rangers' fault. Well, his value's down. Well, and it's like, you know, it's not as clean a situation as you think it is, and it's not as bad a situation as you think it is. But it was funny because when I wrote that the Rangers are in the driver's seat, they are because no matter what happens, they will be the ones that decide what happens. So whether they trade him tomorrow, whether they trade him a year from now, whether he doesn't play in hockey at all this year, that'll all be up to them at this point, because he could come back and say, I want to play. And they'd be like, so we may not want you to play. Right. I mean, that's, that could happen. He also could play in the Olympics if he were chosen. He's probably not going to be chosen. But just the idea was, is if he were chosen for that team, he could go play in the Olympics. The Rangers wouldn't stop that because it would help the trade value. But the point is, 
there is a reason teams are interested. And that's because, and it's not because what he has or hasn't done at the NHL level. It's because he's still the same player everybody scouted in the draft, scouted favorably, and said, hey, this guy could really be a talent in the NHL if he's only 21. We're not talking about this guy being 25 years old. So is he immature? Yeah, absolutely. Did he make mistakes? Absolutely. Did the Rangers make mistakes? Absolutely. The Rangers could have just said, hey, um, he stepped away from the team right now for personal reasons, and they would have blown over in a day or so. And then they could have been working on these trades. But that didn't happen. It didn't work out that way. So now you have this situation. And honestly, I think it's going to hold off for a while for a trade. I think, you know, they're talking, obviously, because they asked the agent to go set up trades, and the agent has done just that. And for people thinking he's going to go for like a third or a fifth and that's it, this isn't the NFL. No, it's going to happen. But the, ridiculous. But, the, but the reason, and, and I mentioned this to you yesterday, um, and we know that it's a new administration with the Rangers after Gordon and Davidson were fired. But you have to you have to consider that if you just look at the track record of the Rangers over the last few years, where they draft Leas Anderson seventh overall, I don't think they did a particularly good job at developing him, um, yo-yoing him back between the Rangers and Hartford, not playing him, playing him on the fourth line. He never even settled in living in North America. Right, and then and then you know basically he decided I'm going to go back to Sweden, and they ended up trading him to LA for a second round pick, and that development you know could adversely affect the lack of development could adversely affect the rest of his career. Uh, Capococco has not been as much of an impact player as people expected him to be after being selected second overall. He's still young. He still has an opportunity, you know, but, but right now you see that you see Anderson, you see Kratzoff and you say, okay. And on the flip side of it, the guy, you know, they get Adam Fox for a third round pick and he turns out to be a Nor- Norris trophy winner. They draft Keandre Miller. Was it third round, second round? No, no, he was a first rounder. Oh, okay, late for late first round. Late, right? was he like twenty one. Yeah, like late first round. So was Niels Lundqvist. So yeah, he was know, like twenty five. Yeah, like so le- you know, late first round picks where they I think they took a little bit of time to let them develop. Those turned out better. But the guys who they've sort of, I don't know, forced uh, quickly uh, is is the right terminology. But they haven't done a great job. No, I mean, they haven't done a great job. And it's more than just, okay, the guy should just take the assignment and go. That's fine, but you should know who you're dealing with. Based on what happened the last time, why did you think it was going to go smoothly this time? Now, this time he didn't have an out where he could actually go play in the KHL because he can't go play there. But who didn't think he wasn't going to go back to Russia? Now, he did say through his agent, right, that we read, what, about a week ago, that, hey, he played for another team in the AHL. So then you knew, okay, this is really problematic. And then you knew when Kako went out and Morgan Barron came right up, it's not like they're calling him or he's saying, all right, I'll come back because I can play now. That all seems to be closed as a channel. And so we're in this holding pattern right now. It's not like it's the first time it's ever happened, but it's happened to them more than you would like to see. And I don't think it's just because they drafted a Russian player because that's not fair to all Russian players. You know, there's these rumors that, hey, he was promised this or promised that. Well, if he was and that guy that promised him is no longer there, then, yeah, that's a mistake. But again, the guy in charge has to sort of be the guy keeping an eye on that. That's why it's a hard job. 
it's not ever a clean thing when you draft a guy. You draft a guy, then it's like it's up to him and it's up to the team for the development the combination. Now, what do you think for uh, Timothy's question here? What do you think they want in return for him? I think they would want a um, a pick and a soon-to-be roster player or a roster player. And it doesn't mean a first line or, or anything like that. But I think something like that. And I think if they got that, that would be palatable. I don't think you could expect you know, a top six guy who's already a top six guy. They may get somebody who could be a top six guy or – they may go one for one. Like if you were able to trade him for Rasmus Kupari as an example to the Kings, right. who's a center and they're short on centers. The Kings have a load of centers. They might be willing to do that. You know, that's something where you could look for something like that. Yeah. A, a two change of scenery type guys. Maybe. He's a way better player than Leas Anderson in the sense that knowing what he could turn into. So it's not going to be the same return as Leas Anderson. And everybody always thinks they're going to get the worst return. And, he could trade him today if he's looking for the worst return, but he's not. It, it, that's not happening. So, yeah. I mean, looking to recoup something. We don't know exactly what, but the idea is he's not on the team. Hockey teams are very good at when players aren't there, just sort of carrying on, right? And and that's fine. The problem is with Kako out, with Strom out now, with you know COVID suspicion, whatever. All of a sudden, their lineup is a bunch of, you know, muckers and, you know, the top two lines. And so it's not nearly as good as it could have been or should have been or you wanted it to be. Yeah, like Randy, um, they are never going to be able to be offered Kanazeri in a swap. The The Flames believe he's their best prospect in their organization and they believe he's a center. So that'll never happen. Yeah, I'm trying to. I, I, sorry, one to add one, one other thing about Kratzoff. The only reason I said on this show I wouldn't have drafted him because I thought he was a home run swing. I thought he was a home run swing that he would become like an all star. And so I was looking for something more concrete. Usually, when you have a couple of high picks in the first round, you're looking for, you know, something more concrete for one of them. And so I wasn't a huge fan of him, but. Did he look great in international play against, you know, his peers? Yeah, he did. And so, end of the day, Kev, I'm just saying, I, you know, I, I, I had gotten information yesterday, tweeted it out about Kratzoff, and, you know, there's apparently close to five teams interested in him. And, of course, fans all think, well, they're just going to get, like, a fifth-round pick, and that's it, because everybody knows the Rangers have to trade him, except he's really young. And teams do know about his talent, and teams do have the same scouting that the Rangers had on him, where he could be a very high talent in the league if things break right. So it's not a guaranteed death sentence of a bad trade or bad value here. Yeah, no, and I think they'll get more than a fifth round pick. Of course, um, for sure. Um, but uh, yeah, I mean, I, I know there's teams out there that uh, that like him and uh, are willing to give him an opportunity to see what he can do. I mean, I. I don't think everybody anybody thinks it's a slam dunk that he's a going to be a top player, but I think everybody thinks he can play. So we'll see. I mean, the teams that are deep, it'll be worth the risk. I think that's that's what I think they're going to look at it as. Well, I, I mean, it could be a situation. And I'm just using Buffalo as an example, mm -hmm. Russ. But okay, Buffalo has got a number of positions on their roster where they have basically hole pluggers. Would they rather have young a young player with upside potential? Sure. Now they could trade a 
second round pick and one of those hole pluggers who could play in the bottom six for the Rangers. And that might be a return that would be good enough for the Rangers and would be beneficial to a team like the Sabres who need more, who needs more talent. So it may not be the Sabres. It could be Arizona, it could be Detroit. But well, the, the problem with that is I just had this conversation um, about uh, that very subject about, because I thought the Coyotes would be a perfect fit. And then another GM pointed out they're trying to gather draft picks not trade them okay. away like yeah they you know that's not the same he said the same will be true like all the bottom teams that you think are not going to want to give up the draft pick that the rangers are going to you know want to take so yeah, that's that's a fair point but teams there are teams out there with multiple picks and multiple rounds right and he said they, he felt like it'll go to it's more likely to go to a contender actually that you know knows it's not going to get a uh, you know, an early pick in the draft, and uh, that's fair too. I I probably do see that more. That's why I was thinking a team team with it, there are teams that are deep with prospects that are good, decent teams that also have some picks. And, and so, Arizona, Arizona has five second round picks. Yeah, but again, like Kevin and, said, and, that, no, and and I, and I get what Kevin's what Kevin said is right, but I'm saying they have five second round picks. Plus they have so many unrestricted free agents that they're going to get, add more picks over the next year. So if they have, if there's an opportunity there to get a young, I mean, they have Soderstrom, they have Dylan Gunther, they have, uh, you know, Clay, you know, they have young, you know, they have young players who are developing that are feeding through their system. You know, uh, what a, uh, what a, uh, uh, who is the third round, third overall pick that they have buried in the minors right now? Oh, Hayton. Yeah, Barrett Hayton. What would you know? What would somebody you like? Gonna make it though, Russ. I mean, Hayton, the boy. You know, they originally thought that he was going to be a stud. And I don't know if he's going to make it, Kev, because they rushed him. There was no question they rushed him. He, when they brought him up, the way they brought him up, there yeah. was no way he was going to be a scorer of any type in the NHL. So they were hoping that maybe he would do all the other things. And maybe the scoring would come. But the problem is you're better off letting that guy keep scoring and get better at the other things. And when he's ready, bring him up. And they did the opposite. Well, yeah. And to be honest, like I'm not a uh, – like to me the draft is not the panacea that everyone seems to think it is. Like, you know, it's hard to, to build through a draft and, and you need luck. I mean, we've seen – The Warriors couldn't do it. Yeah, no, it's exactly right. They've had a lot of uh, – early picks and you know they it still took them forever really and if it wasn't for Connor mcdavid they'd probably still be limping along right um, so you know you need like you need a combination but i'd rather have like you know you've we've seen crafts off so we know more about him than we know um yes. uh, about a pre-draft guy yeah exactly so i i would make that pick if it were me but that's just what the, the gm said he didn't think they would want to give up the draft pick so. no and, and you know what the, and the gm's probably right but there's at some point there's going to be a team that looks over the scouting on him again and says, you know, we've got some things here that I think could make this deal. And if, if this works out, this could be a home run for us. And that's the way I have to look at it. Um, some fairly uh, significant news regarding uh, – T uh, Tampa Bay Lightning forward Nikita Kucherov uh, coming out from Eric Erlinson. Um, He said that there's – Kucherov was injured over the weekend. Uh, the in, in first indications is that the uh, prognosis is not positive and that surgery could be involved. Now, Kev, when we talked about Tampa Bay, I said, you know, 
They lost that entire third line. They lost Tyler Johnson. For them to repeat or for them to have success during the regular season, they were probably unlike the last few years where Stamkos missed a significant portion of time or Kucherov sat, off the, sat out the entire regular season. They would need these guys to be healthy for them to, be, to probably finish you know, first or second in the Atlantic. Not that that means a great deal, but now Kucherov's hurt. We're assuming it's going to be something long-term, and this is not good news for them. No, not not at all, because their depth has been eroded. And, uh, um, you know, you you still got to play well enough in the regular season. Like, you want – even right. if you're going to be in the 2-3 series, you want home ice advantage. Um, yeah. So, like, I, 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 I think this is, uh, this is bad news. And, um, I mean, terrible news. And if they lose one more, you know, then you really got trouble. And um, – you know, we talk all the time, like I'm not a big believer that people are injury prone, but it does occasionally crop up. And Steven Samikos has been injured pretty much every year. Yes. Um, so, you know, he could certainly get injured again. I don't know if it's the way he plays or just that he's got bad luck, but uh, he sure has been injured a lot uh, in his career. There's no doubt about it. I mean, nobody's going to say a word if Tampa falls off here because, you know, they, they traded a ton of guys. And or they just couldn't retain them right. both and and injuries like it's just you know it's really hard to win three in a row but it was monumental to win two in a row in this league I mean it really is yeah. and so they were bound to show some effects and I know I get what Cooper's saying don't press the panic button yet sure you have to say that but I think it's fair of us to say we didn't love the way they looked before this announcement so I don't know how they're going to look now. Yeah, the other problem with it all is is that as much as I don't think the draft is the panacea, you need draft picks, and they've been picking late, and they've been trading picks away because yes. they've been in contention. So yeah, but they, but they, I mean, they they they're system is fairly well regarded now it's a question of whether, well, yeah yeah that's a question of whether taylor radish and you know boris kachuk and some of these guys that they've drafted in the first or second round the last couple of years who have played very well down in syracuse can take the step up but and none of them are a's no none of them are a's, yeah, none of them are a's prospects, and, and they're not really even like b plus prospects they're prospects that could play they're like you know b minus c's and they could play Right. But when you, I, I said this the other day, obviously I was exaggerating, but how long has Radish been around? It feels like we've been talking about him for four or five years. Uh, when was he drafted? 2016. Yeah, okay. I don't know. That is, that is, four that five. is five years. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I mean, come on. If he hasn't made it by now, you know. Uh, I mean, tw- you know, geez. Yeah, yeah, this is going to be the litmus test for those guys. There's no question. I mean, but it is it is the situation similar to the Red Wings uh, back in the day, where you know because the team up top was so good, they they were a lot. It was a, it was you know they were, yeah, they they were in the position, and it happened more than once where they were forced to trade away a guy before they actually knew whether he could play. Right, like and like 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 Tampa Bay lost Barbelay uh, on waivers because he was out of options. They right. you know, they've lost players that way, and they were forced to you know trade Tyler Johnson probably when they didn't want to trade Tyler Johnson because he made too much money. So, um, so yeah, we'll find out in the next couple of days. Well, we've had uh, uh, a number of big injuries. I mean, um, yeah. you know, uh, Pacioretty's injury in Vegas is. Six weeks. He's that, hurt a lot too. He's another guy. Yeah. Yeah. Right. He, you know, he okay. 
He's out. He's out six weeks. Uh, Mark Stone is out day to day, so it doesn't sound too serious. I know that Eck reported uh, yesterday that from a source of his that you know this is this is making Vegas step up their approach, uh, their pursuit of Eichel. Okay, wait a second. Eichel's not going to be playing for four months. Right. So what the hell would, would you do? Right. What would the I hell thought, would you do? Why four months? The, the, the surgery he wants is like four to six week recovery. They're, 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 they're now saying it could be up to up to four months. That, that, that's, oh, yeah. that's, I say I haven't seen that anywhere. Yeah. I mean, the, the fusion surgery, the, 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 the original diagnosis was the disc replacement was a six to eight week recovery time. The fusion would be three months, which was odd because the Sabers wanted him to have the fusion, but they wanted him to have the fusion because it's the more accepted uh, um, uh, approach to his injury. Now they're saying, you know, Eichel, if he even if he has the disc replacement, could be out as long as three and perhaps up to four months, which would, you know, he's not going to be back for the Olympics. Um, but you know, what you want is him to be a hundred percent when he comes back, and if you're scrambling right now because Pacioretty and Stone are hurt. Trading for Eichel is not going to help you right now. In Maybe fact, Nolan Patrick will be the answer, Mike. <laughs> well, they, you know, trading for Eichel, well, first of all, they'd have some difficulty there with the salary cap situation because, you know, they're tight. But, you know, it's the same thing. You know, it is interesting, but Kucherov's uh, injury obviously will be long-term, and that'll give uh, the Lightning some – some cap maneuverability because they were in such a bad shape that, you know, if Bogosian would have been a short-term injury and not a long-term injury, they would have had to go with 5D. Yeah. And that, I was going to bring, I was going to bring that up as well, Kev, because we've seen a couple instances this weekend of teams having to scramble because of COVID slash injury um, with Colorado having to go with 19 players because McKinnon was out with COVID uh, plus, they had Landeskog uh, suspended, and they had one other player injured. Toronto, uh, uh, Mrazic got hurt on Thursday, and uh, Justin Hall, one of their defensemen, was sick. They weren't sure if it was COVID or just a regular illness. It turned out to be just a, the, a flu of some sort. And because they had to play their seventh defenseman, they couldn't call up Michael Hutchinson as an emergency recall, so they had to assign a University of Toronto goaltender on an amateur tryout. And and I have, I have to agree with Elliot Friedman. I was uh, listening to uh, him on the radio earlier this morning, and he's saying – you know, the NHL should have a little more flexibility here. I know that they had this emergency uh, recall set up after Calgary a few years ago had to play, I think, 16 or 17 players because of injury and cap stuff. But with COVID, you don't know if a player is going to be out maybe a couple hours before the game. There ha you know, last year they had the, uh, the taxi squads. There has to be a little more flexibility to prevent these teams from having to play with one player less or a player that's not even an NHL player. I'm a little sympathetic to the COVID situation. I think that those guys really shouldn't count um, for you when they, when they go out because, you know, this is a pandemic and we're dealing with it. Um, but I don't have much sympathy for the, the other teams that are struggling you no, know, I don't either. They got themselves in that position. That, yeah, absolutely. So I, I would have no problem if they wanted to change the rules that say if it's COVID-related, it doesn't count. But all the rest of these people, sorry, Charlie, you know, you should have done a better job of managing your cap. I mean, well, But it is also – it's not easy to manage COVID, but 
based on what happened last year, GMs in the offseason should have looked at their minor league system and said, how many guys could actually come up and play for us? How many, you know, like Chuck Fletcher got a lot of extra guys. Well, he may have to use a lot of those extra guys if, if there's a COVID situation with the Flyers down the road. Other GMs could have done the same thing, Kevin, looked at it and well, said, I mean, well, adding players to your minor league roster doesn't help you because, you know, you're still going to have to call them up and, you know, they're going to take up space. And then you're, you know, the problem is, is you're paying the guy who's gotten injured and then you're paying a guy who gets called up. I well, mean, I know, but you still have to have the space too. That's the second part of the equation. You should never spend to the cap if you're worried about that happening. And there's teams yeah. in the league that spent to the cap a lot of them, actually, more than, you know, more than just a couple. No, I, I mean, that is the problem. But, yeah. I mean, it really doesn't have anything to do with how many people you got in the minors. Well, but sometimes it has to do with who's actually ready. Like, the, the Leafs didn't have anybody. They had to get, a you know, a guy from Canadian University. Now, I'm not going to rip on him like some people were because, hey, you know what? He probably could stop some pucks in the NHL. But at the end of the day, is that the best way to go? No, and but the but the, again, the reason why they had to sign Alex Bishop was because they, you know, the only way that they would have been able to fit Michael Hutchinson on an emergency recall because his contract would count against the cap, right? It would have been to send Timothy Lilligren, who had waivers, back to the Marlies, but they needed Lilligren to play because. Justin Hall was sick. So it's okay. You either have a backup goaltender who's an NHL backup or you're playing with five defensemen. Choose Kyle Dubas. Well, I mean, that, that is the choice. And so he made the choice. Yeah. Well, and it really does matter. You know, sometimes you have these guys in the minors. I mean, this is when it, where, you know, when you're at the end and you're an agent and, and the agent says, well, you know, make it 1.1 million instead of one. Correct. Well, it does matter because – you know, the guy who's down in the minors who gets called up, but his salary is a million dollars as opposed to seven fifty. Um, you know, that's a quarter of a million dollars in the pro, you know, you may need that money down the stretch. You're so tight to the cap. So. Um we, we we mentioned this story I think it was over a month ago when um former NHLer Jimmy Hayes passed away. I think he's thirty one years old. And obviously they were gonna do toxicology because it was a uh, um, it was a sudden death, not expected. And Dan Shaughnessy of the Boston Globe reported yesterday that uh, uh, Jimmy Hayes died of with fentanyl and cocaine in his system and uh, also reported that he was addicted to pain pills. Um, I mean, we didn't we hoped that it wasn't this because we heard, you know, his his child, it was second birthday and, you know, and he, it seemed like, you know, there was no, I mean, at least from the initial indications, there was no, nothing suspicious, but I mean, this is a scourge right now. Fentanyl is, I mean, every time you hear a death, the first thing you're thinking of is fentanyl. Yeah. No, it's really, it's really sad. Yeah. It's, a, it's an epidemic. And I know, um, you know, at least there's been so much publicity about it. I, I I know, you know, that when you're a you know, non-athlete and you're going to your uh, dentist and uh, doctor now, I've had friends who've said, you know, they've said no painkillers, you know, because right. they know. They've heard stories about, yeah. you know, normal people. So, you know, these are, uh, I know there's a movie out right now where they're, you know. Yeah. Dope, about, yeah. Dope, dope sick. It's on, uh, yeah. on, I think, Hulu with Michael Keaton. Yeah. Yeah. 
and uh you know i i think these things are you know they were when they first came out they were considered such a wonder drug because of the relief that they provide for people but you know the the, the problem with the, the side effect is, is they're terribly addictive and uh you know it's a, it's a sad thing and if you just look at the number of uh uh athletes that have um you know been become addicted to these i mean you realize that it's a major problem and you know they're always dealing with aches and pains so it's not you know this this you know when something can provide such relief um you know you're, you're going to want to take it because yeah. they're always pain it's constant pain and then you know it becomes too much and then they have to have it and you know we see what happens yeah it's a shame i mean we all had this in the back of our head that this could be a reason and you were just hoping it wasn't. Right. You never, again, you never know what that person's thinking just because it's, you know, your child's birthday party and they may seem happy on the surface that moment. You don't know two hours from then how that person's feeling, what right. they're thinking. So again, and that's where, you know, even family members can be powerless and helpless to help them. Like I get it, it's, it's, it's a bad situation and now I just wish the best for the family. It's, yeah. it's a shame, and it's a shame, um, you know, for the child. Honestly, it's horrible. Yeah, it is. Um, just to lighten up things uh, a bit, Russ. We 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 always look to Russia to lighten up things, <laughs> yeah. and we and we found out this morning that Ilya Kovalchuk, ex favorite player, has been named the GM of the Russian national team for the 22, uh, 2022 Olympics in Beijing. Okay, start the laugh track, Russ. Yeah, I mean, it's funny because he probably wanted to play, and they probably were like, you know, we have a good team. Why don't you run this team for us? You could be the general manager. Even though he has no experience, he has no management experience, he's never coached, he's never done anything, but you're Ilya Kovalchuk, so we'll just have you there. And you'll be around the team, and this will be great. And, you know, I'm sure the conversation couldn't be much more than that because it's not like he's going to really do anything. Yeah, I, I wonder if the GM position is more of a ceremonial. That's what it is. That's yeah. Yeah, that's what I'm getting yeah, at. No. So because the, I think the Federation picks the, uh, the team. So, um, yeah, well, I mean, it's good. I mean, it, the media will be happy to have him. Uh, yep. North American media, he speaks English. Uh, that's always a plus. And it is a plus. I mean, Kevin gets right down to the bare yeah. bones of it. Like, yeah. if I'm covering it, it's as somebody else I can interview for a story. Absolutely. And, you know, he's also a very good quote. So, um, yeah, yeah it's, all, it's all good. And, you know, there's always so much um, discord with the Russian team. Yeah. That maybe it actually will help to have a player that everybody likes, uh, that uh, you know maybe can kind of get everybody on the same page because that's usually an issue. Uh, yeah. Like nobody can uh, sow the seeds of dissent uh, more than Russian players. Uh, you know they they just uh, for some reason they they and their their laundry is aired publicly. You yeah. know? So at least all the Russian journalists seem to know about it. So that's true. Uh, they really don't get away with anything. No. And uh, so it's all goes on and, you know, who's not happy with his playing time and, and, and so forth. And, um, you know, they always try to have a representative number of players from the KHL and 
Although it's not really hard because they they have fewer players in the NHL than you really think they do. Yeah, so. just to answer Funky, why not Larianov? Because I still think he's in charge of the junior team. That's why. no, no, he's well, he no, he's got promoted to. He's the what's their? Uh, it's their B team. He's the coach of their B team now. Oh, oh, you mean um, whatever that team's called? I think it's actually called the Olympic team. Which yeah, yeah, okay, so he's in charge of that now. Okay. Yeah, yeah, he's well, a he's part of the junior program. Okay. So he's essentially now he's a member of the national team staff. Okay. So he would probably be an assistant coach at the Olympics, I would assume. Okay. Um, okay, we're only through less than a week of the regular season. So at most three games, um, some teams have only played one. So you can get a little glimpse of what's going on, but you can't really draw any conclusions. But – Let's uh, let's go down the you know, first the negative track, meaning the teams that are zero and two or zero and three, um, and a couple of them are surprising here. Uh, I mean, I'm not surprised that Montreal is zero and three because without Carey Price, without Shea Weber, um, but they've you know they've they lost a close one to Toronto. Um, they're they're not you know they've given up ten goals. You know Samuel they lost to Buffalo. Um, so that's not particularly uh, surprising. Uh, Kev, the New York Islanders are yeah. over two. And we, you know, we said the big hurdle for this team was that I think it's 13 game road trip at the beginning of the year and them having to be probably 500 on that uh, after those 13 games for them to be okay. And right now, they now their schedule, they played Carolina and they played Florida, two tough teams on the road. And it gets easier in the next week or so, but still, zero and two for that team is a little, a little surprising. It is, and I think, uh, and I saw the NHL Network. Uh, one of the analysts there, I think, was Mike Johnson, uh, was talking about that. It's not so much that they've lost a couple of games, but it's how they've lost them. Mm -hmm. uh, and I, I agree completely in that. Uh, you know, this is a team that is all about uh, its defensive system and. Barry Trotz's defensive system, and they have been so incredibly sloppy to the point where I think you have to wonder whether all the the changes and there have been some significant ones, you know, taking out, you know, Nick Letty out of their uh, out of their defense and you know realigning how everybody's going to play, like that's that's fairly significant. Um, and they've added uh, Zach Parisi into the mix, and and there's a lot of uh, you know different things that they've done. It's it's pretty clear that they haven't uh, figured it all out yet. They haven't sorted out their defensive coverage. They haven't. No, that's a big deal, and and they don't have their number one goalie. Like people well, may have anointed Ilya Sorokin their number one goalie, yeah. but their number one goalie was Semyon Varlamov. And uh, I'll be honest, Kev. I mean, they keep saying he's just going to slip into the lineup at some point. I think he's going to need a conditioning ass uh, assignment. I don't know how he's going to just slip in there. He hasn't been in camp. He hasn't done anything. If they if they just put him in not to play Corey Schneider, that's going to save volumes because I'm sure the plan was, well, we're going to play Sorokin like the first three or four, and then maybe, you know, we could put Varlamov in there. But, like, Sorokin's not doing well. So at some point you might have to play Schneider and see what you have in him. Well, and they're, you know, they're really kind of being kind of mysterious about Varlamov. So. Right, you think? <laughs> yeah. So, um, you know, more so than usual, even for yes. me. So. So yeah, we don't even know what's going on there. So uh, yeah, and Sorokin, I agree with you. Sorokin hasn't been the player that we thought he was going to be. Simple as that. Yeah. yeah. Now in the central, you've got three teams who are 0-2, 0-3, 0-4, 0-5. 
0 and 2 or 0 2 and 1, <clears throat> the one that's glaring is the Chicago Blackhawks. Um, Kev, I knew, you know, Russ called it when we talked about the Blackhawks when we did the central preview that we were skeptical about their defense. I think that was, you know, right to be skeptical. And in three games, they've given up 13 goals against. Mark Andre Fleury and Kevin Lankinen are probably going to sue for non-support next week, the way things are going. <laughs> so, I mean, that 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 is a concern. And you know, they're they're even saying right now that uh, Stan Bowman might be scouring out there looking for a veteran defenseman to add to their blue line because they're just not deep enough. Well, they actually Stan Bowman was looking coming into the season. Like he's really been looking for a month. Uh, like he knew what was going to happen. And um, I, to be honest with you, I thought they'd be able to overcome it uh, in a short, uh, you know, time frame over the course of the season. It wasn't going to be good enough. But and I really felt he was going to make a move pretty quickly because uh, I had heard that he had been calling everybody about a defenseman. But those are hard to get. Sure. Um, because guys you know, want to hang on to them because they have a, their own problems. Like, you know, it's amazing what stability can do in Detroit. Um, and, again, it's only two games, but they've looked much better um, than they have in the past because, you know, they've added a Nick Letty uh, to the lineup. Um, and that, you know, suddenly he comes in and plays in your top pairing and that moves Ronick down, moves everybody down. You know, Mark Stahl's playing on the third pairing, and he was probably one of their more consistent players last year. Right. Um, and, you know, to the point where, I mean, the fans really loved him just on the basis of how hard he competes, uh, Mark Stahl. Like, he just looks like on every play. He's, he's uh, all hard. He always has it, been. It's, it's really unbelievable. You know, he looks sort of like uh, – He's leading the charge in the movie Braveheart. You know, he's. I mean, he he would have been one of the great Ranger defensemen if he didn't have the uh, the eye injury. Like that's yeah. really because because he had an offensive game that never really had a chance to develop, and yet he still was a very solid defenseman for them, and a big reason why they were you know perennial playoff team for a lot of those years because he was a rock solid defender. But again, like you know, over time it catches up with you a little bit. I mean, he was from that 05 draft. I mean, you know, he's not a spring chicken, but he is loaded with heart. I have all the respect for him. Yeah. No, uh, he's played well. The other the other oh, two. The one thing about Chicago, Mike, one other thing. We should bring up the fact that, look, we all like Seth Jones, but he was never a rock-solid defender. We were never going to say he was one of the top five defenders in the league. No, but no, but he was—he was, uh, you know, he was okay. I mean, it was okay, but I think it's without the right partners, you could see he hasn't looked great, and he's getting bashed all over the place. Yeah, the problem—the problem is, Russ, is that they're playing him, tw you know, twenty-seven minutes a night. Eight minutes that first game. Yeah, I mean, it's it's, it's stupid. It, you know, it's like okay, I mean, he's your best defenseman. You're you're paying him nine and a half million bucks. I get it, but you know, Stan Bowman, you can't have. You know, you you're signing Eric Gustafson at the eleventh hour yeah. because you know three years ago he scored sixty points, but he's a pylon. He's a defender. Two years pylon. in a row, and Eric Gustafson signing doesn't look good. No, <laughs> but but at least the Flyers tells me. at least the Flyers signed him on the first or second day of free agency, not two days before right. the beginning of the regular season. Although they're getting the same result, right? Exactly. Uh, the two other teams in the Central that are Owen that are uh, winless, 
One is unexpected, is expected, the Nashville Predators. The other one is unexpected, and that, at least to me, was with the Winnipeg Jets. They lost to Anaheim. I, I know, I know. You brought it. I was gonna, I was gonna give you kudos oh, that okay. you picked it, that they were gonna finish it. I think fifth. Um, I still think they're a good team, but you start out losing to Anaheim, and Anaheim is not a good team right now. That's not a good first step for you. Yeah, but I think that first loss was was all John Gibson. Um, That's fair. He played an amazing game. You're right. Yeah, he did. And so that one, I'm just you know chalk up to goal the goaltending. But I mean, we'll see. Uh, you know, it's so hard to get a read on it, and uh, when it's you know the first week of the season, what's going to happen? Saying all that, I'm probably going to write today. You know, my you know observations after the first week. Right. You know, because it's just you know yeah. fun to to speculate. But um, they're, uh, you know, the, the Jets are not a perfect team, but in that division, like, I like their goaltending. You start ranking goaltenders, and mm -hmm. Hullabuck's right up there. I thought they did a really good job in the offseason of improving their defense. Like, uh, you know, I expected Schmidt to come around. Like, I, you know, he just wasn't happy mm -hmm. in Vancouver, and it reflected in his play. Um, you know, he, he, didn't just, want, he, he didn't want to leave Vegas. He didn't want oh, to. That's exactly right. Yeah, he's never gotten over leaving Vegas where, you know, he was an important player and he, you know, did a good job there. So I like what they did and their offense, uh, you know, I've always liked their offense. So, uh, you know, they're, they've got some good players. Uh, so even so, without Patrick Line, they, they're still. They have good yeah. players. They don't have a lot of great players driving the offense though. And I think that's an issue. And I think their defense is just like good enough. And, and that was the issue that I saw with them besides I felt like last year they were starting to tune Maurice out, and I just felt like just naturally it was going to happen this year, like because it's going to happen, and I think he may be there too long now. Yeah, well, okay, just as meaningless as the winless teams are the undefeated teams um, right now. I mean, you can't draw like, if the Buffalo Sabers are two zero, you know it's meaningless. And I'm not saying, I, and I'm not trying to, I'm not trying to rip them to shreds, but okay. They played Montreal in the second of back-to-back -back games with Samuel Montebleau as their as their goaltender, and uh, he had trouble. He would have trouble stopping a beach ball in that game. It was five-one loss. Uh, and then they beat Arizona in possibly the worst game I will see all year, Russ. Um, I mean, it was you've got that collection of uh, uh, of just reprobates. That top line is just brutal. Um, it, it, it's unbelievable how the NHL should be embarrassed at how bad the Arizona Coyotes are. At least the Sabers, you know, they have some. They they brought in some hole pluggers who are guys in their twenties who are hungry for NHL jobs, like Vinny Henestrosa or John Hayden or Ryan McGinnis. I get that they're rebuilding, but they're trying to develop their youngsters. With the exception of of Soderstrom. There are no youngsters on that team. They're all 30-pluses. Yeah, you know, the interesting thing is everybody kept saying Bill Armstrong was killing it, killing it. Look at all these picks. Look at all these trades. He's killing it. Except it's going to take four or five years for any of that to pan out. Maybe one or two of them, you know, get to the NHL quicker. But there's just so much lack of talent there that they're just in a canyon right now. And, and, and I and Kev, I don't want to begrudge the Sabers' early success. I let the Saber fans enjoy it because I, you know, it's probably gonna it's fleeting. But uh, you know, they are, you know, they do have some good young players. Unfortunately, Middlestack got hurt in one of the first games. Yoki Haru got hurt in one of the first couple games. 
But, you know, they're playing their young kids, and Darlene looks a lot better. And a couple of the other young players, like Tage Thompson, who's been given op an opportunity under Don Granado, they're playing decently. So, you know, maybe things won't be as bad as 32nd place for Buffalo, but they're going to be bad. We know they're going to be bad. Yeah, I mean, I, I think what we're seeing here is an indication that we were wrong. Like, this isn't going to be an epic uh, failing season. Like, I think people thought that they may not win 10 games. Really? They're going to wow. beat that. Um, okay. uh, you know, clearly they're playing hard. Granado's a good coach. Uh, you yeah. know, I can't say enough about him. Um, I think he's a pro's pro. And he's getting a lot out of the younger players, which is really important, as you said, giving opportunities to some younger players who hadn't had them before. And I think they a lot of these younger players feel more comfortable with him uh, than they did, say, with Ralph Kruger. Yeah. Um, so, well, trust. There's a level of trust. Yeah, there. I mean, I, basically, I'm, I'm just agreeing with your analysis. I, I, I just don't think they're going to be as bad as some people thought they were going to be, but they're still going to be a lower-rung team. It's not like they've suddenly been transformed into a team that can compete for a playoff spot. You know, that's yeah. what they they're, they're not experienced, and I, I don't believe in their goals any whatsoever. I'd be, no. <laughs> you know, like I, I know it's been okay, but I just don't believe in it. So. Yeah, I don't believe in it either. People wanted in the chat room want me to mention Thompson, Tate Thompson. He, I don't think he's been misplayed or not played correctly. I think Don Granado just saw that, like a lot of guys that are bigger. Yeah, he he had played center before. Right. Why don't I try him there because he's got some tools, he's got some strength. Even if he were to lose some faceoffs, he could probably win them just on the battling aspect of it. And he has good hands and. Sometimes these guys take time. I know yeah, yeah. we don't want – Kevin brought it up the other day. We don't want to take time with these guys. We don't want to just – they should be good right away. But he does seem like the classic possibility that, hey, he's starting to click at this age. Now. And, Russ, being around the team as much as I have the last couple of years, he had – I think it was a shoulder injury that he had had to massive reconstructive surgery on. So, right. I mean, that was a factor. He played late last year uh, or played – you know, some last year, but he really, I don't think was completely 100% healthy. So this might be the first time he's been healthy in two or three years. Um, okay, Minnesota's 2-0. Maybe that was expected because I think we all had thought, yeah, okay, there you go, Ross. Keep keep doing that. Uh, Florida at 2-0. Uh, hold on, though. Hold on. The thing about Florida, let's not overlook the fact that Bob looks good because a lot of people didn't even want to think that even as a backup, Bob could look good, and both Kevin and I said he could be an ideal backup, but we'll start the year, and if he's halfway decent, that could help propel this team, and he's been better than halfway decent. Yeah, yeah. I don't I don't think they – Kev, I don't think they want to play Spencer Knight 40, 40 or 50 games. I think they – or I mean, like, I think they want to split it between him and Bobrovsky. I don't think they want to load everything on a 21-year-old kid. No, I, I, you're absolutely right. Like, they, that, that isn't – yeah, they – they would prefer that Bob come around um, for a, a variety of reasons. You know, it is hard to have a backup making $10 million. Yeah. Um, so, but it also, you know, if you can take the pressure off the kid, he can develop at his own pace. And, you know, if you, if you just force him in there, then you got to have him, you know, he's got to step up. So, yeah, I mean, I think uh, Bill Zito has a good plan there where they're, they're hoping that, you know, they're talking mostly about a tandem, and with the idea that uh, Knight would be the 1B, not the 1A. Right. That's probably the way to approach it because then if he steals the net, he steals the net. Right. Um, so yeah, that is the best way. Yeah, absolutely. So 
we'll kind of let it happen organically, as they like to say now. Um, in in the in the metro, uh, Pittsburgh's two zero and one, which is shocking. Stunning. Yeah, yeah. I want to talk about Pittsburgh because I, you know, I watched their their games, and uh, boy. I would say we're all wrong about Pittsburgh. Um, like, I I put them in the playoffs. I said they yeah, could make the playoffs. They did absolutely nothing in the off season. Right. They lost Tanov. They didn't address their goaltending. Uh, Malkin's out two months. You know, yeah. Crosby came into the season not himself because of the injury, right. uh, as well. Gensel's um, out with COVID. Gensel's out with COVID. Um, you know, nothing. Uh, Nothing looked good for that team. And, you know, in the Metro, we all know how tough that is. But they've gotten off, and now they're really playing on momentum. Um, and I think what it speaks to is just the culture of Pittsburgh. I mean, what do we know about Pittsburgh? What we know is they're going to score goals because that's what they always do and what they've done for two decades. Uh, and secondly, they win. They've been in the playoffs for 2006. That's not an accident. So no, and it, I mentioned how what I saw in their practices, guys that they were resurrecting. I also said at that time, Brock McGinn looked good, and that was a signing, Kevin. That was a good, low-cost, under-the-radar kind of signing because Brock McGinn has been one of those players that can look really good at times in the NHL. So you figure under the right system, and he's a pointy game right now. So Drew O'Connor, I mentioned Drew O'Connor as a guy who was a college scorer, and he is getting some points for them. And just the effort and the skating, they will skate other teams into the ground. And that's something where, and now Malkin's skating, it's at least the chat room's reporting it, so I'm sure they read it somewhere. Like, all of these things are starting to happen, and you just wonder, like, when Malkin and Crosby get there, will they be the same team or will it change it? But if it all stays that way, and they're this incredibly hardworking team, they're going to make the playoffs because they've got enough guys there that, have to play well to keep their jobs. Like they have a bunch of those guys now. Yeah, and Russ, I can remember it was more than a few years ago in one instance when both Crosby and Malkin were out and Pittsburgh was having success with, I think it was Tyler Kennedy playing as their yeah. one center. For a short spurt, for a month or two, you might be able to get away with it playing with a lot of effort and high energy. But in the end, you're going to need those talented players uh, contributing. So, I mean, we'll see how, we'll see how, how they're doing a month or so from now when – Maybe we'll, we'll probably go, you know, Crosby will be back or is back yeah. and it'll be closer to being back. Now, now are we going to mention Vancouver, Mike? Because if not, there's something I want to mention about them. Well, uh, let me just finish this off here. Uh, Carolina, we didn't, we didn't, you know, they're not surprising being 2-0 because, uh, you know, how good of a team they are. Um, Columbus, Kev, is almost as surprising as Buffalo. Um, Max Domi scoring, I think it was three or four points. And you know, granted, it was against his old team, Arizona. So I'm sure he was motivated there. But they're 2-0. and They've only allowed three goals in two games. Apparently, Elvis Merzlikens is saying he's going to win the Vesna. Uh, in which yeah, that's that's a that's a nice boast for a player. But if you can back like, it, is his agent. Yeah. yeah, you can back it up. God bless. But you know, Columbus is a little bit surprising right now with what they're yeah, doing. Yeah. Oh yeah. Yeah. Um, I probably shouldn't say Elvis is nothing but a hound dog, but uh, <laughs> uh, but uh, yeah. No, I I'm, I'm stunned by that. I love Elvis though uh, as a goaltender. Um, you know, I, I play uh, in a fantasy league, and I try desperately 
uh, to hang on to him. I had him, but uh, it, I, we're in a salary cap league, and I, I couldn't keep him. But I, I really believe in him as a goaltender, and I, you know, I think he had trouble adjusting when he first came over uh, to the width of the, uh, uh, you know, the rink, and so it took him a little while to get going. But now that he's in there, like I, I don't have any doubt that he is going to be the man there in that corp cell. Um, like he is a really, really first-rate goalie, and I thought Edmonton should have gone out and tried to get him. I beat that drum pretty hard uh, to try to make a trade, but as it turned out, I think uh, Columbus wanted to trade Corpusallo and not Mulder's liking. So, and that, uh, and that might be in the end who who Edmonton ends up getting if their goaltending is not good. It's you know we've talked about Koskinen or somebody with Dallas, but uh, you know Corpusallo is somebody that they probably as a backup making a little less than three million bucks might be somebody that they end up moving before the end of the yeah, year. And they don't really have a center uh, of note in Columbus whatsoever, and they're two and zero oh. now. No, that's why Cole Sillinger made the team. Like that was yeah, team. absolutely. I mean, Cole Sillinger is a terrific young player. He's a great yeah. young player. But you know, you know, you if you said, are you, you know, would you would any other team be happy with him as their, you know, is he still number one he, during preseason? He was their number one. Center. I don't know actually. Yeah, I don't either. I haven't looked. I didn't I see haven't him yet. Um, yeah. Rossi wanted to finish off with the, with Vancouver. We'll. well start I do want to say one thing quick. Liney is great with the pressure off. We'll say that because that's he's scoring now, and I still have to give props to Eric Robin Robinson who played at Princeton. I covered him his entire career. Always a great skater, overachiever, good penalty killer, and he's even become a better player than I thought he could be. And I think Torts helped him; like he was a Torts kind of guy. And you know, he's already got a point in two games, so that those kind of pluggers help. But I, I did want to bring up Vancouver because, again, when I saw. Bobby Orr play, I was young. I, you know, he was already in 72, you know, I was probably already seeing the middle of the road Bobby Orr for Bobby Orr standards. And so I never got to see the great Bobby Orr. So I always put a level of skating uh, to like the Brian Leach level at the uh, defensive position. And I think or Quinn or Hughes. Coffee. Or yeah, or Paul Coffey. And I think Quinn Hughes is better than that. I saw Quinn Hughes against the Flyers make some plays like, you know, Sean Couturier won a Selkie. And Sean Couturier couldn't even get near him on a puck with his basically with him just doing some great edge work. Yeah. I saw Hughes going from one side of the ice to the other to completely shut down a play with not that much effort. Like, I don't think there's a better skating defenseman in the league. And I, you know, we're talking about Kale McCarr and a lot of great guys. And so, like, if people ever wonder, like, what's like his superpower that's going to sort of keep him going, it's that. And uh, his passing is amazing too. And, and speaking of Hughes, uh, Hughes, one of the Hughes brothers, Kevin, um, with the absence of Jack Eichel, and probably more than likely he's not going to be ready for the Olympics. If he does, even if he gets the surgery tomorrow, he's probably not going to be ready for the Olympics. Um, Jack Hughes, I, I, and we talked about Jack Hughes possibly being on the U.S. Olympic team. If you've watched him the, the his first couple games, especially that goal that he scored against Chicago on the three on three, I think he's motivated to want to make the U.S. Olympic team because he looks he looks markedly better than he did last year. Yeah, and he really needed to do that. I, I had talked to um, some people who were involved in the decision making, and they just saw his uh, Hughes last year when I did my first. Uh, uh, projected thing as a bubble guy. Um, I don't think he's a bubble guy anymore. I think he's going to get on the team, you know, with Jack Eichel looking more yeah. and more 
like he's not going to uh, be on the team. I mean, he'd have to have surgery tomorrow, and even then, I don't know if he can come back. Right. Um, but uh, you know, just they need to have a. I, you know, I think they like the idea of you know Trocheck and Larkin, you know, filling out the third and fourth line. But I think they want a, somebody else in there, and I think Hughes could be a good fit if he continues to develop the way that uh, you know he's looked really good the, thus far in this short uh, time we've seen him. Yeah. One last thing, Mike, because someone's asking about Dawson Mercer in the chat room. Uh, last July, I wrote about him for full press, and and I said, you know, he could really be a goal scorer, and he's got a point in his first game, but he he was scoring in the preseason, which helped him get his job. He could score goals. That kid skates well. He has a lot of torque on his shot, and if they put him with the right players, they could get some results out of him. So I'm not shocked at Dawson Mercer. I just didn't know when he was going to hit. Yeah. Uh, four games tonight, Rangers-Toronto, the return of Austin Matthews to the Leafs lineup, Seattle at Philadelphia, Anaheim and Calgary, and St. Louis and Arizona. We'll talk about uh, some of those games tomorrow. And So one thing on that, Mike? Yep. Growing up, and I don't know if this was like this for everybody, but maybe because I lived in New York, against the teams that I always liked, players always hit milestones, and you always saw the replays – of like, hey, this guy got his 500th homer. Yeah, it's against the Mets. This guy got his 300 volts against the Rangers. This guy, and it always seemed to be that way. And Matthews is close to his 200 goal. I think he's at 199. Mm -hmm. And so I can guarantee you he's going to hit it tonight. Like it's going to happen well, because that replay will get played for a while. And that's just the way it, it goes. Are, are there any X leaps on the Rangers, Russ? Because X leaps always score against the leaps. True. Um, I I don't think so. I don't think so. So we're safe. Oh, no, great okay. play. Greg McGregor, he'll score four tonight. Greg McGregor will get a hat trick. There you go. Uh, for Kevin Allen, for Russ Cohen, I'm Michael Agello. Thanks for watching. And remember, without the buzz, it's just hockey.